BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Section 15 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section 15. The writings of Port-Royal and those of the oratory, being what I most read, had made me half a Jansenist, and notwithstanding all my confidence, their harsh theology sometimes alarmed me. A dread of hell, which till then I had never much apprehended, by little and little disturbed my security, and had not Madame de Varence tranquillised my soul, would at length have been too much for me my confessor who was hers likewise contributed all in his power to keep up my hopes this was a jesuit named father Humet, a good and wise old man whose memory i shall ever hold in veneration though a jesuit he had the simplicity of a child and his manners less relaxed than gentle were precisely what was necessary to balance the melancholy impressions made on me by Jansenism. This good man and his companion, Father Copier, came frequently to visit us at Les Charmettes, though the road was very rough and tedious for men of their age. These visits were very comfortable to me which made the almighty return to their souls for they were so old that i cannot suppose them yet living i sometimes went to see them at chambery became acquainted at their convent and had free access to the library the remembrance of that happy time is so connected with the idea of those jesuits that i love one on account of the other and though i have ever thought their doctrines dangerous could never find myself in a disposition to hate them cordially i should like to know whether there ever passed such childish notions in the hearts of other men as sometimes do in mine 
in the midst of my studies and of a life as innocent as man could lead notwithstanding every persuasion to the contrary the dread of hell frequently tormented me i asked myself what state am i in should i die at this instant must i be damned according to my jansenists the matter was indubitable but according to my conscience it appeared quite the contrary terrified and floating in this cruel uncertainty i had recourse to the most laughable expedient to resolve my doubts for which i would willingly shut up any man as a lunatic should i see him practise the same folly one day meditating on this melancholy subject i exercised myself in throwing stones at the trunks of trees with my usual dexterity that is to say without hitting any of them in the height of this charming exercise it entered my mind to make a kind of prognostic that might calm my inquietude i said i will throw this stone at the tree facing me if i hit my mark i will consider it as a sign of salvation if i miss as a token of damnation while i said this i threw the stone with a trembling hand and beating breast but so happily that it struck the body of the tree which truly was not a difficult matter for i had taken care to choose one that was very large and very near me from that moment i never doubted my salvation i know not on recollecting this tray whether i ought to laugh or shudder at myself ye great geniuses who surely laugh at my folly congratulate yourselves on your superior wisdom but insult not my unhappiness for i swear to you that i feel it most sensibly these troubles these alarms inseparable perhaps from devotion were only at intervals in general i was tranquil and the impression made on my soul by the idea of approaching death was less that of melancholy than a peaceful languor which even had its pleasures i have found among my old papers a kind of congratulation and exhortation which i made to myself on dying at an age when i had the courage to meet death with serenity without having experienced any great evils either of body or mind how much justice was there in the thought a preconception of what i had to suffer made me fear to live and it seemed that i dreaded the fate which must attend my future days i have never been so near wisdom as during this period when i felt no great remorse for the past nor tormenting fear for the future 
the reigning sentiment of my soul being the enjoyment of the present serious people usually possess a lively sensuality which makes them highly enjoy those innocent pleasures that are allowed them worldlings i know not why impute this to them as a crime or rather i well know the cause of this imputation it is because they envy others the enjoyment of those simple and pure delights which they have lost the relish of i had these inclinations and found it charming to gratify them in security of conscience my yet inexperienced heart gave in to all with the calm happiness of a child or rather if i dare use the expression with the raptures of an angel for in reality these pure delights are as serene as those of paradise dinners on the grass at montagnol suppers in our arbour gathering in the fruits the vintage a social meeting with our neighbours all these were so many holidays in which madame de varens took as much pleasure as myself solitary walks afforded yet purer pleasure because in them our hearts expanded with greater freedom one particularly remains in my memory it was on a saint louis day whose name madame de varens bore we set out together early and unattended after having heard a mass at break of day in a chapel adjoining our house from a carmelite who attended for that purpose as i proposed walking over the hills opposite our dwelling which we had not yet visited we sent our provisions on before the excursion being to last the whole day madame de varens though rather corpulent did not walk ill and we rambled from hill to hill and wood to wood sometimes in the sun but oftener in the shade resting from time to time and regardless how the hours stole away speaking of ourselves of our union of the gentleness of our fate and offering up prayers for its duration which were never heard everything conspired to augment our happiness it had rained for several days previous to this there was no dust the brooks were full and rapid a gentle breeze agitated the leaves the air was pure the horizon free from clouds serenity reigned in the sky as in our hearts our dinner was prepared at a peasant's house and shared with him and his family whose benedictions we received these poor savoyards are the worthiest of people after dinner we regained the shade and while i was picking up bits of dried sticks to boil our coffee 
madame de varens amused herself with herbalizing among the bushes and with the flowers i had gathered for her in my way she made me remark in their construction a thousand natural beauties which greatly amused me and which ought to have given me a taste for botany but the time was not yet come and my attention was arrested by too many other studies besides this an idea struck me which diverted my thoughts from flowers and plants the situation of my mind at that moment all that we had said or done that day every object that had struck me brought to my remembrance the kind of waking dream i had at annecy seven or eight years before and which i have given an account of in its place the similarity was so striking that it affected me even to tears in a transport of tenderness i embraced madame de varens my dearest friend said i this day has long since been promised me i can see nothing beyond it my happiness by your means is at its height may it never decrease may it continue as long as i am sensible of its value then it can only finish with my life thus happily passed my days and the more happily as i perceived nothing that could disturb or bring them to a conclusion not that the cause of my former uneasiness had absolutely ceased but i saw it take another course which i directed with my utmost care to useful objects that the remedy might accompany the evil madame de varens naturally loved the country and this taste did not cool while with me by little and little she contracted a fondness for rustic employments wished to make the most of her land and had in that particular a knowledge which she practised with pleasure not satisfied with what belonged to the house she hired first a field then a meadow transferring her enterprising humour to the objects of agriculture and instead of remaining unemployed in the house was in the way of becoming a complete farmer i was not greatly pleased to see this passion increase and endeavoured all i could to oppose it for i was certain she would be deceived and that her liberal extravagant disposition would infallibly carry her expenses beyond her profits however i consoled myself by thinking the produce could not be useless and would at least help her to live of all the projects she could form this appeared the least ruinous 
without regarding it therefore in the light she did as a profitable scheme i considered it as a perpetual employment which would keep her from the more ruinous enterprises and out of the reach of impostors with this idea i ardently wished to recover my health and strength that i might superintend her affairs overlook her labourers or rather be the principal one myself the exercise this naturally obliged me to take with the relaxation it procured me from books and study was serviceable to my health the winter following barillot returning from italy brought me some books and among others the bontempi and la cartella per musica of father banchieri these gave me a taste for the history of music and for the theoretical researches of that pleasing art barillot remained some time with us and as i had been of age for some months i determined to go to geneva the following spring and demand my mother's inheritance or at least that part which belonged to me till it could be ascertained what had become of my brother this plan was executed as it had been resolved i went to geneva my father met me there for he had occasionally visited geneva a long time since without its being particularly noticed though the decree that had been pronounced against him had never been reversed but being esteemed for his courage and respected for his probity the situation of his affairs was pretended to be forgotten or perhaps the magistrates employed with the great project that broke out some little time after were not willing to alarm the citizens by recalling to their memory at an improper time this instance of their former partiality i apprehended that i should meet with difficulties on account of having changed my religion but none occurred the laws of geneva being less harsh in that particular than those of berne where whoever changes his religion not only loses his freedom but his property my rights however were not disputed but i found my patrimony i know not how reduced to very little and though it was known almost to a certainty that my brother was dead yet as there was no legal proof i could not lay claim to his share which i left without regret to my father who enjoyed it as long as he lived no sooner were the necessary formalities adjusted and i had received my money some of which i expended in books then i flew with the remainder to madame de varens my heart beat with joy during the journey and the moment in which i gave the money into her hands was to me a thousand times more delightful than that which gave it into mine 
she received this with a simplicity common to great souls who doing similar actions without effort see them without admiration indeed it was almost all expended for my use for it would have been employed in the same manner had it come from any other quarter end of section 15 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section 16 of confessions volumes 5 and 6 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes 5 and 6 by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section 16 my health was not yet re-established i decayed visibly was pale as death and reduced to an absolute skeleton the beating of my arteries was extreme my palpitations were frequent i was sensible of a continual oppression and my weakness became at length so great that i could scarcely move or step without danger of suffocation stoop without vertigos or lift even the smallest weight which reduced me to the most tormenting inaction for a man so naturally stirring as myself it is certain my disorder was in a great measure hypochondriacal the vapours is a malady common to people in fortunate situations the tears i frequently shed without reason the lively alarms i felt on the falling of a leaf or the fluttering of a bird inequality of humour in the calm of a most pleasing life lassitude which made me weary even of happiness and carried sensibility to extravagance were instances of this we are so little formed for felicity that when the soul and body do not suffer together they must necessarily endure separate inconveniences the good state of the one being almost always injurious to the happiness of the other had all the pleasures of life courted me my weakened frame would not have permitted the enjoyment of them without my being able to particularize the real seat of my complaint yet in the decline of life after having encountered very serious and real evils my body seemed to regain its strength as if on purpose to encounter additional misfortunes and at the moment i write this though infirm near sixty and overwhelmed with every kind of sorrow 
i feel more ability to suffer than i ever possessed for enjoyment when in the very flower of my age and in the bosom of real happiness to complete me i had mingled a little physiology among my other readings i set about studying anatomy and considering the multitude movement and wonderful construction of the various parts that composed the human machine my apprehensions were instantly increased i expected to feel mine deranged twenty times a day and far from being surprised to find myself dying was astonished that i yet existed i could not read the description of any malady without thinking it mine and had i not been already indisposed i am certain i should have become so from this study finding in every disease symptoms similar to mine i fancied i had them all and at length gained one more troublesome than any i had yet suffered which i had thought myself delivered from this was a violent inclination to seek a cure which is very difficult to suppress when once a person begins reading physical books by searching reflecting and comparing i became persuaded that the foundation of my complaint was a polypus at the heart and dr salomon appeared to coincide with the idea reasonably this opinion should have confirmed my former resolution of considering myself past cure this however was not the case on the contrary i exerted every power of my understanding in search of a remedy for a polypus resolving to undertake this marvellous cure in a journey which annet had made to montpellier to see the physic garden there and visit monsieur sauvage the demonstrator he had been informed that monsieur fise had cured a polypus similar to that i fancied myself afflicted with madame de varens recollecting this circumstance mentioned it to me and nothing more was necessary to inspire me with a desire to consult monsieur fise the hope of recovery gave me courage and strength to undertake the journey the money from geneva furnished the means madame de varens far from dissuading entreated me to go behold me therefore without further ceremony set out for montpellier but it was not necessary to go so far to find the cure i was in search of finding the motion of the horse too fatiguing i had hired a chaise at grenoble and on entering moirant 
five or six other shares arrived in a rank after mine the greater part of these were in the train of a new-married lady called madame du colombier with her was a madame de larnage not so young or handsome as the former yet not less amiable the bride was to stop at romans but the other lady was to pursue her route as far as saint andéol near the pont du saint esprit with my natural timidity it will not be conjectured that i was very ready at forming an acquaintance with these fine ladies and the company that attended them but travelling the same road lodging at the same inns and being obliged to eat at the same table the acquaintance seemed unavoidable as any backwardness on my part would have got me the character of a very unsociable being it was formed then and even sooner than i desired for all this bustle was by no means convenient to a person in ill health particularly to one of my humour curiosity renders these vixens extremely insinuating they accomplish their design of becoming acquainted with a man by endeavouring to turn his brain and this was precisely what happened to me madame du colombier was too much surrounded by her young gallants to have any opportunity of paying much attention to me besides it was not worth while as we were to separate in so short a time but madame de larnage less attended to than her young friend had to provide herself for the remainder of the journey behold me then attacked by madame de larnage and adieu to poor jean jacques or rather farewell to fever vapours and polypus all completely vanished when in her presence the ill state of my health was the first subject of our conversation they saw i was indisposed knew i was going to montpellier but my air and manner certainly did not exhibit the appearance of a libertine since it was clear by what followed they did not suspect i was going there for a reason that carries many that road in the morning they sent to inquire after my health and invite me to take chocolate with them and when i made my appearance asked how i had passed the night once according to my praiseworthy custom of speaking without thought i replied i did not know which answer naturally made them conclude i was a fool but on questioning me further the examination turned out so far to my advantage that i rather rose in their opinion and i once heard madame du colombier say to her friend he is amiable but not sufficiently acquainted with the world 
these words were a great encouragement and assisted me in rendering myself agreeable as we became more familiar it was natural to give each other some little account of whence we came and who we were this embarrassed me greatly for i was sensible that in good company and among women of spirit the very name of a new convert would utterly undo me i know not by what whimsicality i resolved to pass for an englishman however in consequence of that determination i gave myself out for a jacobite and was readily believed they called me monsieur dudding which was the name i assumed with my new character and a cursed marquis tolignan who was one of the company an invalid like myself and both old and ill-tempered took it in his head to begin a long conversation with me he spoke of king james of the pretender and the old court of saint germain i sat on thorns the whole time for i was totally unacquainted with all these except what little i had picked up in the account of earl hamilton and from the gazettes however i made such fortunate use of the little i did know as to extricate myself from this dilemma happy in not being questioned on the english language which i did not know a single word of the company were all very agreeable we looked forward to the moment of separation with regret and therefore made snails journeys we arrived one sunday at saint marcellin's madame de larnage would go to mass i accompanied her and had nearly ruined all my affairs for by my modest reserved countenance during the service she concluded me a bigot and conceived a very indifferent opinion of me as i learned from her own account two days after it required a great deal of gallantry on my part to efface this ill impression or rather madame de larnage who was not easily disheartened determined to risk the first advances and see how i should behave she made several but far from being presuming on my figure i thought she was making sport of me full of this ridiculous idea there was no folly i was not guilty of madame de larnage persisted in such caressing behaviour that a much wiser man than myself could hardly have taken it seriously the more obvious her advances were the more i was confirmed in my mistake and what increased my torment i found i was really in love with her i frequently said to myself 
and sometimes to her sighing ah why is this not all real then should i be the most fortunate of men i am inclined to think my stupidity did but increase her resolution and make her determined to get the better of it we left madame du colombier at romans after which madame de larnage the marquis de Tolignan, and myself continued our route slowly and in the most agreeable manner the marquis though indisposed and rather ill-humoured was an agreeable companion but was not best pleased at seeing the lady bestow all her attentions on me while he passed unregarded for madame de larnage took so little care to conceal her inclination that he perceived it sooner than i did and his sarcasms must have given me that confidence i could not presume to take from the kindness of the lady if by a surmise which no one but myself could have blundered on i had not imagined they perfectly understood each other and were agreed to turn my passion into ridicule this foolish idea completed my stupidity making me act the most ridiculous part while had i listened to the feelings of my heart i might have been performing one far more brilliant i am astonished that madame de larnage was not disgusted at my folly and did not discard me with disdain but she plainly perceived there was more bashfulness than indifference in my composition end of section 16 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section 17 of confessions volumes 5 and 6 this librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section 17 We arrived at Valence to dinner, and according to our usual custom, passed the remainder of the day there we lodged out of the city at the st james an inn i shall never forget after dinner madame de larnage proposed a walk she knew the marquis was no walker consequently this was an excellent plan for a tete-a-tete -tete, which she was predetermined to make the most of while we were walking around the city by the side of the moats i entered on a long history of my complaint to which she answered in so tender an accent frequently pressing my arm which she held to her heart 
that it required all my stupidity not to be convinced of the sincerity of her attachment i have already observed that she was amiable love rendered her charming adding all the loveliness of youth and she managed her advances with so much art that they were sufficient to have seduced the most insensible i was therefore in very uneasy circumstances and frequently on the point of making a declaration but the dread of offending her and the still greater of being laughed at ridiculed made table talk and complimented on my enterprise by the satirical marquis had such unconquerable power over me that though ashamed of my ridiculous bashfulness i could not take courage to surmount it i had ended the history of my complaints which i felt the ridiculousness of at this time and not knowing how to look or what to say continued silent giving the finest opportunity in the world for that ridicule i so much dreaded happily madame de larnage took a more favourable resolution and suddenly interrupted this silence by throwing her arms round my neck while at the same instant her lips spoke too plainly on mine to be any longer misunderstood this was reposing that confidence in me the want of which has almost always prevented me from appearing myself for once i was at ease my heart eyes and tongue spoke freely what i felt never did i make better reparation for my mistakes and if this little conquest had cost madame de larnage some difficulties i have reason to believe she did not regret them was i to live a hundred years i should never forget this charming woman i say charming for though neither young nor beautiful she was neither old nor ugly having nothing in her appearance that could prevent her wit and accomplishments from producing all their effects it was possible to see her without falling in love but those she favoured could not fail to adore her which proves in my opinion that she was not generally so prodigal of her favours it is true her inclination for me was so sudden and lively that it scarce appears excusable though from the short but charming interval i passed with her i have reason to think her heart was more influenced than her passions our good intelligence did not escape the penetration of the marquis 
not that he discontinued his usual raillery on the contrary he treated me as a sighing hopeless swain languishing under the rigours of his mistress not a word smile or look escaped him by which i could imagine he suspected my happiness and i should have thought him completely deceived had not madame de larnage who was more clear-sighted than myself assured me of the contrary but he was a well-bred man and it was impossible to behave with more attention or greater civility than he constantly paid me notwithstanding his satirical sallies especially after my success which as he was unacquainted with my stupidity he perhaps gave me the honour of achieving it has already been seen that he was mistaken in this particular but no matter i profited by his error for being conscious that the laugh was on my side i took all his sallies in good part and sometimes parried them with tolerable success for proud of the reputation of wit which madame de larnage had thought fit to discover in me i no longer appeared the same man we were both in a country and season of plenty and had everywhere excellent cheer thanks to the good cares of the marquis though i would willingly have relinquished this advantage to have been more satisfied with the situation of our chambers but he always sent his footman on to provide them and whether of his own accord or by the order of his master the rogue always took care that the marquis's chamber should be close by madame de larnage's while mine was at the further end of the house but that made no great difference or perhaps it rendered our rendezvous the more charming this happiness lasted four or five days during which time i was intoxicated with delight which i tasted pure and serene without any alloy an advantage i could never boast before and i may add it is owing to madame de larnage that i did not go out of the world without having tasted real pleasure if the sentiment i felt for her was not precisely love it was at least a very tender return of what she testified for me our meetings were so delightful that they possessed all the sweets of love without that kind of delirium which affects the brain and even tends to diminish our happiness i never experienced true love but once in my life and that was not with madame de larnage neither did i feel that affection for her which i had been sensible of 
and yet continued to possess for madame de varens but for this very reason our tete-a-tete were a hundred times more delightful when with madame de varens my felicity was always disturbed by a secret sadness a compunction of heart which i found it impossible to surmount instead of being delighted at the acquisition of so much happiness i could not help reproaching myself for contributing to render her i loved unworthy on the contrary with madame de larnage i was proud of my happiness and gave into it without repugnance while my triumph redoubled every other charm i do not recollect exactly where we quitted the marquis who resided in this country but i know we were alone on our arrival at montelimar where madame de larnage made her chambermaid get into my chaise and accommodate me with a seat in hers it will easily be believed that travelling in this manner was by no means displeasing to me and that i should be very much puzzled to give any account of the country we passed through she had some business at montelimar which detained her there two or three days during this time she quitted me but one quarter of an hour for a visit she could not avoid which embarrassed her with a number of invitations she had no inclination to accept and therefore excused herself by pleading some indisposition though she took care this should not prevent our walking together every day in the most charming country and under the finest sky imaginable oh those three days what reason have i to regret them never did such happiness return again the amours of a journey cannot be very durable it was necessary we should part and i must confess it was almost time not that i was weary of my happiness but i might as well have been we endeavoured to comfort each other for the pain of parting by forming plans for our reunion and it was concluded that after staying five or six weeks at montpellier which would give madame de larnage time to prepare for my reception in such a manner as to prevent scandal i should return to saint andéol and spend the winter under her direction she gave me ample instruction on what it was necessary i should know on what it would be proper to say and how i should conduct myself she spoke much and earnestly on the care of my health conjured me to consult skilful physicians and be attentive and exact in following their prescriptions whatever they might happen to be 
i believe her concern was sincere for she loved me and gave proofs of her affection less equivocal than the prodigality of her favours for judging by my mode of travelling that i was not in very affluent circumstances though not rich herself on our parting she would have had me share the contents of her purse which she had brought pretty well furnished from grenoble and it was with great difficulty i could make her put up with a denial in a word we parted my heart full of her idea and leaving in hers if i am not mistaken a firm attachment to me while pursuing the remainder of my journey remembrance ran over everything that had passed from the commencement of it and i was well satisfied at finding myself alone in a comfortable chaise where i could ruminate at ease on the pleasures i had enjoyed and those which awaited my return i only thought of saint andéol of the life i was to lead there i saw nothing but madame de larnage or what related to her the whole universe besides was nothing to me even madame de varence was forgotten i set about combining all the details by which madame de larnage had endeavoured to give me in advance an idea of her house of the neighbourhood of her connections and manner of life finding everything charming she had a daughter whom she had often described in the warmest terms of maternal affection this daughter was fifteen lively charming and of an amiable disposition madame de larnage promised me her friendship i had not forgotten that promise and was curious to know how mademoiselle de larnage would treat her mother's bon ami these were the subjects of my reveries from the pont du saint-esprit to remoulins i had been advised to visit the pont du gard hitherto i had seen none of the remaining monuments of roman magnificence and i expected to find this worthy the hands by which it was constructed for once the reality surpassed my expectation this was the only time in my life it ever did so and the romans alone could have produced that effect the view of this noble and sublime work struck me the more forcibly from being in the midst of a desert where silence and solitude render the majestic edifice more striking and admiration more lively for though called a bridge it is nothing more than an aqueduct one cannot help exclaiming what strength could have transported these enormous stones so far from any quarry and what motive could have united the labours of so many millions of men 
in a place that no one inhabited i remained here whole hours in the most ravishing contemplation and returned pensive and thoughtful to my inn this reverie was by no means favourable to madame de larnage she had taken care to forewarn me against the girls of montpellier but not against the pont du gard it is impossible to provide for every contingency on my arrival at nimes i went to see the amphitheatre which is a far more magnificent work than even the pont du gard yet it made a much less impression on me perhaps because my admiration had been already exhausted on the former object or that the situation of the latter in the midst of a city was less proper to excite it this vast and superb circus is surrounded by small dirty houses while yet smaller and dirtier fill up the area in such a manner that the whole produces an unequal and confused effect in which regret and indignation stifle pleasure and surprise the amphitheatre at verona is a vast deal smaller and less beautiful than that at nimes but preserved with all possible care and neatness by which means alone it made a much stronger and more agreeable impression on me the french pay no regard to these things respect no monument of antiquity ever eager to undertake they never finish nor preserve anything that is already finished to their hands end of section seventeen recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey Section eighteen of Confessions, volumes five and six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, volumes five and six, by Jean Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section eighteen. I was so much better and had gained such an appetite by exercise that i stopped a whole day at the pont de lunel for the sake of good entertainment and company this being deservedly esteemed at that time the best inn in europe for those who kept it knowing how to make its fortunate situation turn to advantage took care to provide both abundance and variety it was really curious to find in a lonely country house a table every day furnished with sea and fresh-water fish excellent game and choice wines served up with all the attention and care which are only to be expected among the great or opulent and all this for thirty-five sous each person 
but the pont de lunel did not long remain on this footing for the proprietor presuming too much on its reputation at length lost it entirely during this journey i really forgot my complaints but recollected them again on my arrival at montpellier my vapours were absolutely gone but every other complaint remained and though custom had rendered them less troublesome they were still sufficient to make any one who had been suddenly seized with them suppose himself attacked by some mortal disease in effect they were rather alarming than painful and made the mind suffer more than the body though it apparently threatened the latter with destruction while my attention was called off by the vivacity of my passions i paid no attention to my health but as my complaints were not altogether imaginary i thought of them seriously when the tumult had subsided recollecting the salutary advice of madame de larnage and the cause of my journey i consulted the most famous practitioners particularly monsieur fise and through superabundance of precaution boarded at a doctor's who was an irishman and named fitzmaurice this person boarded a number of young gentlemen who were studying physic and what rendered his house very commodious for an invalid he contented himself with a moderate pension for provisions lodging etc and took nothing of his boarders for attendance as a physician he even undertook to execute the orders of monsieur fise and endeavoured to re-establish my health he certainly acquitted himself very well in this employment as to regimen indigestions were not to be gained at his table and though i am not much hurt at privations of that kind the objects of comparison were so near that i could not help thinking with myself sometimes that monsieur le marquis de Tolignan was a much better provider than monsieur fitzmaurice notwithstanding as there was no danger of dying with hunger and all the youths were gay and good-humoured i believe this manner of living was really serviceable and prevented my falling into those languors i had latterly been so subject to i passed the morning in taking medicines particularly i know not what kind of waters but believe they were those of valse and in writing to madame de larnage for the correspondence was regularly kept up and rousseau kindly undertook to receive these letters for his good friend dudding at noon i took a walk to the canourgue with some of our young boarders who were all very good lads 
after this we assembled for dinner when this was over an affair of importance employed the greater part of us till night this was going a little way out of town to take our afternoon's collation and make up two or three parties at mal or mallet as i had neither strength nor skill i did not play myself but i betted on the game and interested for the success of my wager followed the players and their balls over rough and stony roads procuring by this means both an agreeable and salutary exercise we took our afternoon's refreshment at an inn out of the city i need not observe that these meetings were extremely merry but should not omit that they were equally innocent though the girls of the house were very pretty Monsieur Fitzmaurice, who was a great mal-player himself, was our president, and I must observe, notwithstanding the imputation of wildness that is generally bestowed on students, that I found more virtuous dispositions among these youths than could easily be found among an equal number of men they were rather noisy than fond of wine and more merry than libertine i accustomed myself so much to this mode of life and it accorded so entirely with my humour that i should have been very well content with a continuance of it several of my fellow-boarders were irish from whom i endeavoured to learn some english words as a precaution for saint andéol the time now drew near for my departure every letter madame de larnage wrote she entreated me not to delay it and at length i prepared to obey her i was convinced that the physicians who understood nothing of my disorder looked on my complaint as imaginary and treated me accordingly with their waters and whey in this respect physicians and philosophers differ widely from theologians admitting the truth only of what they can explain and making their knowledge the measure of possibilities these gentlemen understood nothing of my illness therefore concluded i could not be ill and who would presume to doubt the profound skill of a physician i plainly saw they only meant to amuse and make me swallow my money and judging their substitute at saint andéol would do me quite as much service and be infinitely more agreeable i resolved to give her the preference full therefore of this wise resolution i quitted montpellier i set off towards the end of november after a stay of six weeks or two months in that city where i left a dozen louis 
without either my health or understanding being the better for it except from a short course of anatomy begun under m fitzmaurice which i was soon obliged to abandon from the horrid stench of the bodies he dissected which i found impossible to endure not thoroughly satisfied in my own mind on the rectitude of this expedition as i advanced towards the pont du saint esprit which was equally the road to saint andéol and to chambéry i began to reflect on madame de varence the remembrance of whose letters though less frequent than those from madame de larnage awakened in my heart a remorse that passion had stifled in the first part of my journey but which became so lively on my return that setting just estimate on the love of pleasure i found myself in such a situation of mind that i could listen wholly to the voice of reason besides in continuing to act the part of an adventurer i might be less fortunate than i had been in the beginning for it was only necessary that in all saint andéol there should be one person who had been in england or who knew the english or anything of their language to prove me an impostor the family of madame de larnage might not be pleased with me and would perhaps treat me unpolitely her daughter too made me uneasy for in spite of myself i thought more of her than was necessary i trembled lest i should fall in love with this girl and that very fear had already half done the business was i going in return for the mother's kindness to seek the ruin of the daughter to sow dissension dishonour scandal and hell itself in her family the very idea struck me with horror and i took the firmest resolution to combat and vanquish this unhappy attachment should i be so unfortunate as to experience it but why expose myself to this danger how miserable must the situation be to live with the mother whom i should be weary of and sigh for the daughter without daring to make known my affection what necessity was there to seek this situation and expose myself to misfortunes affronts and remorse for the sake of pleasures whose greatest charm was already exhausted for i was sensible this attachment had lost its first vivacity with these thoughts were mingled reflections relative to my situation and duty to that good and generous friend who already loaded with debts would become more so from the foolish expenses i was running into 
and whom i was deceiving so unworthily this reproach at length became so keen that it triumphed over every temptation and on approaching the pont du saint esprit i formed the resolution to burn my whole magazine of letters from saint andéol and continue my journey right forward to chambéry i executed this resolution courageously with some sighs i confess but with the heartfelt satisfaction which i enjoyed for the first time in my life of saying i merit my own esteem and know how to prefer duty to pleasure this was the first real obligation i owed my books since these had taught me to reflect and compare after the virtuous principles i had so lately adopted after all the rules of wisdom and honour i had proposed to myself and felt so proud to follow the shame of possessing so little stability and contradicting so egregiously my own maxims triumphed over the allurements of pleasure perhaps after all pride had as much share in my resolution as virtue but if this pride is not virtue itself its effects are so similar that we are pardonable in deceiving ourselves one advantage resulting from good actions is that they elevate the soul to a disposition of attempting still better for such is human weakness that we must place among our good deeds an abstinence from those crimes we are tempted to commit no sooner was my resolution confirmed than i became another man or rather i became what i was before i had erred and saw in its true colours what the intoxication of the moment had either concealed or disguised full of worthy sentiments and wise resolutions i continued my journey intending to regulate my future conduct by the laws of virtue and dedicate myself without reserve to that best of friends to whom i vowed as much fidelity in future as i felt real attachment the sincerity of this return to virtue appeared to promise a better destiny but mine alas was fixed and already begun even at the very moment when my heart full of good and virtuous sentiments was contemplating only innocence and happiness through life i touched on the fatal period that was to draw after it the long chain of my misfortunes End of section 18 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey
Section nineteen of Confessions, volumes five and six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, volumes five and six, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section nineteen my impatience to arrive at chambery had made me use more diligence than i meant to do i had sent a letter from valence mentioning the day and hour i should arrive but i had gained half a day on this calculation which time i passed at chaparillon that i might arrive exactly at the time i mentioned i wished to enjoy to its full extent the pleasure of seeing her and preferred deferring this happiness a little that expectancy might increase the value of it this precaution had always succeeded hitherto my arrival had caused a little holiday i expected no less this time and these preparations so dear to me would have been well worth the trouble of contriving them i arrived then exactly at the hour and while at a considerable distance looked forward with an expectancy of seeing her on the road to meet me the beating of my heart increased as i drew near the house at length I arrived quite out of breath for i had left my shares in the town i see no one in the garden at the door or at the windows i am seized with terror fearful that some accident has happened i enter all is quiet the labourers are eating their luncheon in the kitchen and far from observing any preparation the servants seem surprised to see me not knowing i was expected i go upstairs at length see her that dear friend so tenderly truly and entirely beloved i instantly ran towards her and threw myself at her feet ah child said she art thou returned then embracing me at the same time have you had a good journey how do you do this reception amused me for some moments i then asked whether she had received my letter she answered yes i should have thought not replied i and the information concluded there a young man was with her at this time i recollected having seen him in the house before my departure but at present he seemed established there in short he was so i found my place already supplied this young man came from the country of vaux his father named vincenried was keeper of the prison or as he expressed himself 
captain of the castle of chillon this son of the captain was a journeyman peruke-maker and gained his living in that capacity when he first presented himself to madame de varence who received him kindly as she did all comers particularly those from her own country he was a tall fair silly youth well enough made with an unmeaning face and a mind of the same description speaking always like the beau in a comedy and mingling the manners and customs of his former situation with a long history of his gallantry and success naming according to his account not above half the marchionesses who had favoured him and pretending never to have dressed the head of a pretty woman without having likewise decorated her husband's vain foolish ignorant and insolent such was the worthy substitute taken in my absence and the companion offered me on my return oh if souls disengaged from their terrestrial bonds yet view from the bosom of eternal light what passes here below pardon dear and respectable shade that i show no more favour to your failings than my own but equally unveil both i ought and will be just to you as to myself but how much less will you lose by this resolution than i shall how much to your amiable and gentle disposition your inexhaustible goodness of heart your frankness and other amiable virtues compensate for your foibles if a subversion of reason alone can be called such you had errors but not vices your conduct was reprehensible but your heart was ever pure the newcomer had shown himself zealous and exact in all her little commissions which were ever numerous and he diligently overlooked the labourers as noisy and insolent as i was quiet and forbearing he was seen or rather heard at the plough in the hayloft woodhouse stable farmyard at the same instant he neglected the gardening this labour being too peaceful and moderate his chief pleasure was to load or drive the cart to saw or cleave wood he was never seen without a hatchet or pickaxe in his hand running knocking and hallooing with all his might i know not how many men's labour he performed but he certainly made noise enough for ten or a dozen at least all this bustle imposed on poor madame de varence she thought this young man a treasure 
and willing to attach him to herself employed the means she imagined necessary for that purpose not forgetting what she most depended on the surrender of her person those who have thus far read this work should be able to form some judgment of my heart its sentiments were the most constant and sincere particularly those which had brought me back to chambery what a sudden and complete overthrow was this to my whole being but to judge fully of this the reader must place himself for a moment in my situation i saw all the future felicity i had promised myself vanish in a moment all the charming ideas i had indulged so affectionately disappear entirely and i who even from childhood had not been able to consider my existence for a moment as separate from hers for the first time saw myself utterly alone this moment was dreadful and those that succeeded it were ever gloomy i was yet young but the pleasing sentiments of enjoyment and hope which enliven youth were extinguished from that hour my existence seemed half annihilated i contemplated in advance the melancholy remains of an insipid life and if at any time an image of happiness glanced through my mind it was not that which appeared natural to me and i felt that even should i obtain it i must still be wretched i was so dull of apprehension and my confidence in her was so great that notwithstanding the familiar tone of the newcomer which i looked on as an effect of the easy disposition of madame de varens which rendered her free with every one i never should have suspected his real situation had not she herself informed me of it but she hastened to make this avowal with a freedom calculated to inflame me with resentment could my heart have turned to that point speaking of this connection as quite immaterial with respect to herself she reproached me with negligence in the care of the family and mentioned my frequent absence as though she had been in haste to supply my place ah said i my heart bursting with the most poignant grief what do you dare to inform me of is this the reward of an attachment like mine have you so many times preserved my life for the sole purpose of taking from me all that could render it desirable your infidelity will bring me to the grave but you will regret my loss she answered with a tranquillity sufficient to distract me that i talked like a child 
that people did not die from such slight causes that our friendship need be no less sincere nor we any less intimate for that her tender attachment to me could neither diminish nor end but with herself in a word she gave me to understand that my happiness need not suffer any decrease from the good fortune of this new favourite never did the purity truth and force of my attachment to her appear more evident never did i feel the sincerity and honesty of my soul more forcibly than at that moment i threw myself at her feet embracing her knees with torrents of tears no madam replied i with the most violent agitation i love you too much to disgrace you thus far and too truly to share you the regret that accompanied the first acquisition of your favours has continued to increase with my affection i cannot preserve them by so violent an augmentation of it you shall ever have my adoration be worthy of it to me that is more necessary than all you can bestow it is to you o oh my dearest friend that i resign my rights it is to the union of our hearts that i sacrifice my pleasure rather would i perish a thousand times than thus degrade her i love i preserved this resolution with a constancy worthy i may say of the sentiment that gave it birth from this moment i saw this beloved woman but with the eyes of a real son it should be remarked here that this resolve did not meet her private approbation as i too well perceived yet she never employed the least art to make me renounce it either by insinuating proposals caresses or any of those means which women so well know how to employ without exposing themselves to violent censure and which seldom fail to succeed reduced to seek a fate independent of hers and not able to devise one i passed to the other extreme placing my happiness so absolutely in her that i became almost regardless of myself the ardent desire to see her happy at any rate absorbed all my affections it was in vain she endeavoured to separate her felicity from mine i felt i had a part in it spite of every impediment thus those virtues whose seeds in my heart begun to spring up with my misfortunes they had been cultivated by study and only waited the fermentation of adversity to become prolific 
the first fruit of this disinterested disposition was to put from my heart every sentiment of hatred and envy against him who had supplanted me i even sincerely wished to attach myself to this young man to form and educate him to make him sensible of his happiness and if possible render him worthy of it in a word to do for him what annet had formerly done for me but the similarity of dispositions was wanting more insinuating and enlightened than annet i possessed neither his coolness fortitude nor commanding strength of character which i must have had in order to succeed neither did the young man possess those qualities which annet found in me such as gentleness gratitude and above all the knowledge of a want of his instructions and an ardent desire to render them useful all these were wanting the person i wished to improve saw in me nothing but an importunate chattering pedant while on the contrary he admired his own importance in the house measuring the services he thought he rendered by the noise he made and looking on his saws hatchets and pickaxes as infinitely more useful than all my old books and perhaps in this particular he might not be altogether blamable but he gave himself a number of airs sufficient to make any one die with laughter with the peasants he assumed the airs of a country gentleman presently he did as much with me and at length with madame de varence herself his name vincenrit did not appear noble enough he therefore changed it to that of monsieur de courtille and by the latter appellation he was known at chambery and in Borienne, where he married at length this illustrious personage gave himself such airs of consequence that he was everything in the house and myself nothing when i had the misfortune to displease him he scolded madame de varence and a fear of exposing her to his brutality rendered me subservient to all his whims so that every time he cleaved wood an office which he performed with singular pride it was necessary i should be an idle spectator and admirer of his prowess this lad was not however of a bad disposition he loved madame de varence indeed it was impossible to do otherwise nor had he any aversion even to me and when he happened to be out of his airs would listen to our admonitions and frankly own he was a fool yet notwithstanding these acknowledgments 
his follies continued in the same proportion his knowledge was so contracted and his inclinations so mean that it was useless to reason and almost impossible to be pleased with him not content with a most charming woman he amused himself with an old red-haired toothless waiting-maid whose unwelcome service madame de varens had the patience to endure though it was absolutely disgusting i soon perceived this new inclination and was exasperated at it but i saw something else which affected me yet more and made a deeper impression on me than anything had hitherto done this was a visible coldness in the behaviour of madame de varens towards me the privation i had imposed on myself and which she affected to approve is one of those affronts which women scarcely ever forgive take the most sensible the most philosophic female one the least attached to pleasure and slighting her favours if within your reach will be found the most unpardonable crime even though she may care nothing for the man this rule is certainly without exception since a sympathy so natural and ardent was impaired in her by an abstinence founded only on virtue attachment and esteem i no longer found with her that union of hearts which constituted all the happiness of mine she seldom sought me but when we had occasion to complain of this newcomer for when they were agreed i enjoyed but little of her confidence and at length was scarcely ever consulted in her affairs she seemed pleased indeed with my company but had i passed whole days without seeing her she would hardly have missed me end of section 19 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section 20 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section twenty insensibly i found myself desolate and alone in that house where i had formerly been the very soul where if i may so express myself i had enjoyed a double life and by degrees i accustomed myself to disregard everything that passed and even those who dwelt there 
to avoid continual mortifications i shut myself up with my books or else wept and sighed unnoticed in the woods this life soon became insupportable i felt that the presence of a woman so dear to me while estranged from her heart increased my unhappiness and was persuaded that ceasing to see her i should feel myself less cruelly separated i resolved therefore to quit the house mentioned it to her and she far from opposing my resolution approved it she had an acquaintance at grenoble called madame de deban whose husband was on terms of friendship with monsieur mably chief provost of lyon monsieur deban proposed my educating monsieur mably's children i accepted this offer and departed for lyon without causing and almost without feeling the least regret at a separation the bare idea of which a few months before would have given both of us the most excruciating torments i had almost as much knowledge as was necessary for a tutor and flattered myself that my method would be unexceptionable but the year i passed at monsieur mably's was sufficient to undeceive me in that particular the natural gentleness of my disposition seemed calculated for the employment if hastiness had not been mingled with it while things went favourably and i saw the pains which i did not spare succeed i was an angel but a devil when they went contrary if my pupils did not understand me i was hasty and when they showed any symptoms of an untoward disposition i was so provoked that i could have killed them which behaviour was not likely to render them either good or wise i had two under my care and they were of very different tempers sainte marie who was between eight and nine years old had a good person and quick apprehension was giddy lively playful and mischievous but his mischief was ever good-humoured the younger one named condillac appeared stupid and fretful was headstrong as a mule and seemed incapable of instruction it may be supposed that between both i did not want employment yet with patience and temper i might have succeeded but wanting both i did nothing worth mentioning and my pupils profited very little i could only make use of three means which are very weak and often pernicious with children namely sentiment reasoning passion 
i sometimes exerted myself so much with sainte marie that i could not refrain from tears and wished to excite similar sensations in him as if it was reasonable to suppose a child could be susceptible to such emotions sometimes i exhausted myself in reasoning as if persuaded he could comprehend me and as he frequently formed very subtle arguments concluded he must be reasonable because he bid fair to be so good a logician the little condillac was still more embarrassing for he neither understood answered nor was concerned at anything he was of an obstinacy beyond belief and was never happier than when he had succeeded in putting me in a rage then indeed he was the philosopher and i the child i was conscious of all my faults studied the tempers of my pupils and became acquainted with them but where was the use of seeing the evil without being able to apply a remedy my penetration was unavailing since it never prevented any mischief and everything i undertook failed because all i did to effect my designs was precisely what i ought not to have done i was not more fortunate in what had only reference to myself than in what concerned my pupils madame desbans in recommending me to her friend madame de mably had requested her to form my manners and endeavour to give me an air of the world she took some pains on this account wishing to teach me how to do the honours of the house but i was so awkward bashful and stupid that she found it necessary to stop there this however did not prevent me from falling in love with her according to my usual custom i even behaved in such a manner that she could not avoid observing it but i never durst declare my passion and as the lady never seemed in a humour to make advances i soon became weary of my sighs and ogling being convinced they answered no manner of purpose i had quite lost my inclination for little thieveries while with madame de varens indeed as everything belonged to me there was nothing to steal besides the elevated notions i had imbibed ought to have rendered me in future above such meanness and generally speaking they certainly did so but this rather proceeded from my having learned to conquer temptations than having succeeded in rooting out the propensity and i should even now greatly dread stealing as in my infancy were i yet subject to the same inclinations 
i had a proof of this at monsieur mably's when though surrounded by a number of little things that i could easily have pilfered and which appeared no temptation i took it into my head to covet some white arbois wine some glasses of which i had drunk at table and thought delicious it happened to be rather thick and as i fancied myself an excellent finer of wine i mentioned my skill and this was accordingly trusted to my care but in attempting to mend i spoiled it though to the sight only for it remained equally agreeable to the taste profiting by this opportunity i furnished myself from time to time with a few bottles to drink in my own apartment but unluckily i could never drink without eating the difficulty lay therefore in procuring bread it was impossible to make a reserve of this article to have it brought by the footman was discovering myself and insulting the master of the house i could not bear to purchase it myself how could a fine gentleman with a sword at his side enter a baker's shop to buy a small loaf of bread it was utterly impossible at length i recollected the thoughtless saying of a great princess who on being informed that the country people had no bread replied then let them eat pastry yet even this resource was attended with a difficulty i sometimes went out alone for this very purpose running over the whole city and passing thirty pastry-cooks shops without daring to enter any one of them in the first place it was necessary there should be only one person in the shop and that person's physiognomy must be so encouraging as to give me confidence to pass the threshold but when once the dear little cake was procured and i shut up in my chamber with that and a bottle of wine taken cautiously from the bottom of a cupboard how much did i enjoy drinking my wine and reading a few pages of a novel for when i have no company i always wish to read while eating it seems a substitute for society and i dispatch alternately a page and a morsel tis indeed as if my book dined with me i was neither dissolute nor sottish never in my whole life having been intoxicated with liquor my little thefts were not very indiscreet yet they were discovered the bottles betrayed me and though no notice was taken of it i had no longer the management of the cellar in all this m mably conducted himself with prudence and politeness being really a very deserving man who under a manner as harsh as his employment 
concealed a real gentleness of disposition and uncommon goodness of heart he was judicious equitable and what would not be expected from an officer of the marechaux very humane sensible of his indulgence i became greatly attached to him which made my stay at lyon longer than it would otherwise have been but at length disgusted with an employment which i was not calculated for and a situation of great confinement consequently disagreeable to me after a year's trial during which time i spared no pains to fulfil my engagement i determined to quit my pupils being convinced i should never succeed in educating them properly m mably saw this as clearly as myself though i am inclined to think he would never have dismissed me had i not spared him the trouble which was an excess of condescension in this particular that i certainly cannot justify what rendered my situation yet more insupportable was the comparison i was continually drawing between the life i now led and that which i had quitted the remembrance of my dear charmette my garden trees fountain and orchard but above all the company of her who was born to give life and soul to every other enjoyment on calling to mind our pleasures and innocent life i was seized with such oppressions and heaviness of heart as deprived me of the power of performing anything as it should be a hundred times was i tempted instantly to set off on foot to my dear madame de varence being persuaded that could i once more see her i should be content to die that moment in fine i could no longer resist the tender emotions which recalled me back to her whatever it might cost me i accused myself of not having been sufficiently patient complacent and kind concluding i might yet live happily with her on the terms of tender friendship and by showing more for her than i had hitherto done i formed the finest projects in the world burned to execute them left all renounced everything departed fled and arriving in all the transports of my early youth found myself once more at her feet alas i should have died there with joy had i found in her reception in her embrace or in her heart one quarter of what i had formerly found there and which i yet found the undiminished warmth of fearful illusions of transitory things how often dost thou torment us in vain 
she received me with that excellence of heart which could only die with her but i sought the influence there which could never be recalled and had hardly been half an hour with her before i was once more convinced that my former happiness had vanished for ever and that i was in the same melancholy situation which i had been obliged to fly from yet without being able to accuse any person with my unhappiness for courtille really was not to blame appearing to see my return with more pleasure than dissatisfaction but how could i bear to be a secondary person with her to whom i had been everything and who could never cease being such to me how could i live an alien in that house where i had been the child the sight of every object that had been witness to my former happiness rendered the comparison yet more distressing i should have suffered less in any other habitation for this incessantly recalled such pleasing remembrances that it was irritating the recollection of my loss consumed with vain regrets given up to the most gloomy melancholy i resumed the custom of remaining alone except at meals shut up with my books i sought to give some useful diversion to my ideas and feeling the imminent danger of want which i had so long dreaded i sought means to prepare for and receive it when madame de varence should have no other resource i had placed her household on a footing not to become worse but since my departure everything had been altered he who now managed her affairs was a spendthrift and wished to make a great appearance such as keeping a good horse with elegant trappings loved to appear gay in the eyes of the neighbours and was perpetually undertaking something he did not understand her pension was taken up in advance her rent was in arrears debts of every kind continued to accumulate i could plainly foresee that her pension would be seized and perhaps suppressed in short i expected nothing but ruin and misfortune and the moment appeared to approach so rapidly that i already felt all its horrors my closet was my only amusement and after a tedious search for remedies for the sufferings of my mind i determined to seek some against the evil of distressing circumstances which i daily expected would fall upon us and returning to my old chimeras 
behold me once more building castles in the air to relieve this dear friend from the cruel extremities into which i saw her ready to fall i did not believe myself wise enough to shine in the republic of letters or to stand any chance of making a fortune by that means a new idea therefore inspired me with that confidence which the mediocrity of my talents could not impart in ceasing to teach music i had not abandoned the thoughts of it on the contrary i had studied the theory sufficiently to consider myself well informed on the subject when reflecting on the trouble it had cost me to read music and the great difficulty i yet experienced in singing at sight i began to think the fault might as well arise from the manner of noting as from my own dullness being sensible it was an art which most people find difficult to understand by examining the formation of the signs i was convinced they were frequently very ill devised i had before thought of marking the gamut by figures to prevent the trouble of having lines to draw on noting the plainest air but had been stopped by the difficulty of the octaves and by the distinction of measure and quantity this idea returned again to my mind and on a careful revision of it i found the difficulties by no means insurmountable i pursued it successfully and was at length able to note any music whatever by figures with the greatest exactitude and simplicity from this moment i supposed my fortune made and in the ardour of sharing it with her to whom i owed everything thought only of going to paris not doubting that on presenting my project to the academy it would be adopted with rapture i had brought some money from lyon i augmented this stock by the sale of my books and in the course of a fortnight my resolution was both formed and executed in short full of the magnificent ideas it had inspired and which were common to me on every occasion i departed from savoy with my new system of music as i had formerly done from turin with my heron fountain such have been the errors and faults of my youth i have related the history of them with a fidelity which my heart approves if my riper years were dignified with some virtues i should have related them with the same frankness it was my intention to have done this but i must forego this pleasing task and stop here time which renders justice to the characters of most men may withdraw the veil 
and should my memory reach posterity they may one day discover what i had to say they will then understand why i am now silent end of volume six recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey end of confessions volumes five and six by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated